This is episode number 293 with data scientist Payman Hesami. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by our very own data science conference, Data Science Go 2019. There are plenty of data science conferences out there. Data Science Go is not your ordinary data science event. This is a conference dedicated to career advancement. We have three days of immersive talks, panels, and training sessions designed to teach, inspire, and guide you. There's three separate uh, career tracks involved. So whether you're a beginner, a practitioner, or a manager, you can find a career track for you and select the right talks to advance your career. We're expecting 40 speakers, that's 40 speakers to join us for Data Science Go 2019. And just to give you a taste of what to expect, here are some of the speakers that we had in the previous years. Creator of Makeover Monday, Andy Kriebel. AI thought leader, Ben Taylor. Data science influencer, Randy Lau. Data science mentor, Kristen Kerrer. Founder of Visual Cinnamon, Nadine Bremer. Technology futurist, Publis Holman. And many, many more. Uh, this year, we will have over 800 attendees from beginners to data scientists to managers and leaders. So there will be plenty of networking opportunities with our attendees and speakers, and you don't want to miss out on that. That's the best way to grow your data science network and grow your career. And as a bonus, there will be a track for executives. So if you're executive listening to this, check this out. Last year at Data Science Go X, which is our special track for executives, we had key business decision makers from Ellie Mae, Levi Strauss, Dell, Red Bull, and more. So whether you're a beginner, practitioner, manager, or executive, Data Science Go is for you. Data Science Go is happening on the 27th, 28th, 29th of September 2019 in San Diego. Don't miss out. You can get your tickets at www.datasciencego.com. I would personally love to see you there, network with you, and help inspire your career or progress your business into the space of data science. Once again, the website is www.datasciencego.com, and I'll see you there. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And today I've got a very interesting guest with me, Payman Hesami. Payman is a data scientist uh, who used to work for Qualcomm and just recently changed his career to work for a startup in the Los Angeles area. Very exciting time for Payman. Uh, he's uh, quite an advanced data scientist. And here are a couple of things that we talked about in this podcast. Today, we focused on predominantly reinforcement learning. So if you're not up to speed with reinforcement learning, then this is the best place for you because today you'll find out what reinforcement learning is and how it works on an intuitive level. Uh, you'll also find out the differences between reinforcement learning versus classification or other supervised learning methods. We'll talk about recommender engines, 
Uh, we'll talk about reinforcement learning and how it's used for personalization specifically, what implications that has. You'll find out a couple of use cases with real numbers, for instance, how Alibaba is using reinforcement learning to accomplish astronomical returns of, on investment in their advertising. Uh, you'll find out about what reinforcement learning is, what role reinforcement learning is going to play in the future of machine learning and why. Uh, you'll find out six advantages. We've, we were able to name six distinct advantages of reinforcement learning, so something very powerful to know. Um, and also Payman will share some of his um, his career, how he, uh, how and why he made this transition just recently to work for a startup, uh, how he's used reinforcement learning, what is the biggest mistake he has made with reinforcement learning. So quite a lot of interesting things coming up in this exciting podcast. Also, something to note is that Payment is going to be our, one of our speakers at Data Science Go 2019. So if you haven't grabbed your ticket yet, you can find it at www.datasciencego.com. Make sure not to miss out on that and you can meet Payment in person there. And on that note, without further ado, I bring to you data scientist and expert in reinforcement learning, Payment Hesami. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And today we have a very interesting guest, Payman Hassami, calling in from Los Angeles. Payman, how are you going today? Good, good. How about yourself? Going great as well. Um, very good timing for me. It's like 9 a.m. for you. It's what, almost 4 p.m. right now? 4 p.m. Yep. Yeah, I like it because usually it's either I'm very early in the morning or the guest is like really late in the evening. And this one works out quite well, I think. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah. And... Um, well, first of all, congratulations on the new job. You just uh, started off at a startup in LA and uh, you, it's been, what, your first week? <laughs> you mentioned yeah. it's been a hectic week. How's that going? Uh, it's good. I've been working uh, for Qualcomm for over the past seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, I decided it's time uh, and I've been uh, trying to explore the startup scene for a while. And I've found a big, uh, a good opportunity out here in LA, uh, and I will be doing data science for a startup. Fantastic! Well, well, congratulations! And what what goes into that decision? To you said you finally decided it's time, and you know you stayed at Qualcomm for seven years. I'm assuming it was fantastic. You had like you probably learned a lot and grew, and you wouldn't stay there for seven years otherwise. But when does somebody make that decision that it's time to leave somewhere where I've, you know, felt comfortable, felt at home and to go explore something new? Uh, for me, uh, personally, uh, it was the major driving force for me was uh, being close to the product. Uh, mm -hmm. Having that product ownership feeling uh, has been always important to me. And you ha you can have a similar experience uh, at a big company, but once you, I believe, once you enter like a smaller environment, uh, you can get uh, very very closer to the product. You can have more and more meaningful impact on that product, and that's been the driving force uh, for me to make this decision. Mm, mm. I guess so. You you wanted to see, or you needed to see more clearly the direct impact you have 
on on this program like, like it's a it's a need for contribution that you have that you want to make people's lives better and therefore and you actually want to see how you are able to do that right yes and and i think uh it might be true not only for me for many other people once you see the impact that you have made uh clearly and uh very closely that that's gonna that make a big feedback loop uh that drive you further mm-hmm. uh so that's 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 been one of the reasons that i've been uh looking for an opportunity like this was it scary to leave qualcomm because qualcomm is a very uh, big company in san diego right it is i think it's probably the largest one in southern california wow uh yeah uh it was i don't know uh my friends uh, were asking me the same questions. Uh, I don't know if it was scary or not, but it was definitely a hard decision uh, given uh, seven years of living and working and at, at, at one place. <laughs> uh, but I think uh, what's what's uh, waiting for me or what I have been uh, expecting that is waiting for me um, uh, have been basically something much, much more exciting. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think that's that's been helping me to overcome any fear if if I've had it in the back of my mind. Well, uh, I, but yeah, I have huge respect for you because jumping into the unknown is like jumping off a bridge on a bungee jump. You know, <laughs> like when you you've tied to the bungee jump and you like you kind of know it's gonna be safe, but it's still so scary. Um, exactly. Huge. And, res- I, and I do love bungee jumping <laughs> me too me too that's so cool where, where have you been bungee jumping uh in la there is uh, there is a couple place here uh, i've done it once uh i i wanted to do it once in mexico yeah but i was a little scared uh, so, yeah. <laughs> wow wow yeah me too i love bungee jumping i did the first one in greece uh it was only like 60 meters but i fell in love with it so much that i I did it like I think like eight or seven more times, or like on in, two, in the span of two days. It was so much fun. Um, that is fun. Yeah, but so basically, huge respect for you. A lot of people, I I have a feeling, a lot of people listening to this right now, are in a similar position, in similar situation. Like they've been in a job, they're comfortable, but they are maybe unhappy for a reason, or they're ready for their next step. But the taking this jump is horrifying it's like really stopping them from moving forward so what can you say like how does it feel now that you've taken the jump now that you have this job you've done a week at this new job how do you feel uh yeah as as you said it's only been a week but uh uh, based on based on the experience so far uh i think i'm happy with the decision i made uh this been uh what i have been planning for and that's been what I've been looking for uh, and I think it's going to be an exciting journey um, yeah so far I've, I'm, I'm pretty happy awesome that's very cool very cool okay well payment so um, super pumped to have you on the podcast uh, one, one of the reasons is because this will give us give our audience to get to know you a little bit better before data science go because you're going to be coming to data science go this year as one of the panelists and hopefully once um, you finalize some things about your talk as a speaker as well um, and that's super exciting so that's end of September if somebody doesn't know who's listening to this podcast end of September we've got Data Science Go happening so how do you feel about talking at Data Science Go this year? 
Uh, I'm excited. Uh, uh, I've, uh, I haven't been able to attend the past conferences, but uh, from what I have heard, it's a very exciting and interesting uh, conference uh, that is more focused on uh, building career uh, and building that network of data science that you need as a junior data scientist or as an aspiring data scientist when you enter the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm pretty, pretty uh, uh, excited and looking forward to it. Fantastic. And um, at the same time, we also have um, technical tracks for um uh, advanced data scientists and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I I believe that's that's the expertise that you're bringing you bring the more advanced technical side of data science to the conference is that correct yes hopefully I will be uh, having one at least one technical talk on uh, some some more advanced machine learning stuff that might be uh, interesting to towards uh, more advanced data scientists more experienced data scientists mm-hmm. but I will try to make t- my talk um, simple enough for everyone to at least understand what is going on. Okay, and so uh, what uh, what uh, this is this talk going to be about? Give us like a maybe a bit of a preview. What do you think it'll be about? Uh, so as of now, I'm still uh, deciding, uh, but it might be uh, uh, it it could be related to reinforcement learning and specifically. Uh, personalization uh, using reinforcement learning. Mm. That's been a topic that is uh, kind of new and uh, I have been recently over the last couple of years I've been working on. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, uh, the, the details of it I'm still finalizing, but it will most likely be something around reinforcement learning. That's really cool. I, I really like that um, idea. You know why? Because I've been um, doing some research actually for uh, we're recording this uh, course for executives called Artificial Intelligence for Executives. And one of the subtopics is reinforcement learning. And so I need to come up with a way to explain how reinforcement learning works and what value the most important thing f- for executives. And like, like what you're doing is more of a technical talk, topic for advanced data science, like how, how to get, you know, how it works and all those mechanics behind it and, and, uh, in general, like the, the specifics actually. For for this other course that we're doing is, I got to explain it to on an executive level. And so I've been researching all, what executives care about mostly is like, you know, the bottom line, the return on investment, the profitability of a business, like what impact can it have on a business? And I've been researching this quite a bit. And one of the examples that I found, this is pretty crazy. So, you know, Alibaba, Alibaba the company in China, like, yeah. like eBay. Yeah. So they used reinforcement learning um, in advertising for displaying ads and bidding. And they were able to develop, like, as you said, like a very personalized um, system through enforcement learning that would display ads based on people's preferences, context, the ad itself, and all these other things that they know about their users. And they increased their return on investment by 240% without spending, without increasing the advertising budget, just through reinforcement learning. 240 percent extra roi how crazy is that that's amazing (laughs) that's insane and this is a big company this is not just like some research thing like this is alibaba doing it like one of the biggest retail companies in in asia probably like servicing the world now um yeah so that's that's a pretty cool so i'm pretty excited about this so 
Um, how, how do you know about reinforcement learning? Is this something that like you uh, used to work on previously? Uh, yes, I have been, uh, I've been working on uh, specifically uh, personalization uh, mm. uh, and using, uh, you can use personalization, you can use uh, many, many different techniques uh, to achieve some type of personalization. Mm. Uh, but I have been focused on uh, basically using reinforcement learning to personalize a, a device, a, an electronic device, or your phone, uh, mobile phone, or your home speaker uh, personalized to you as a user and your environment. Mm. And this been, this been a very, very interesting uh, uh, couple years that I've been uh, working on these. And uh, I, I believe it's, it's something that is going to uh, keep uh, going on and it's gonna there's there's gonna be more and more research and more and more project coming out of uh, these type of uh, these type of projects yeah I totally totally agree with you I was actually um, talking to someone on the podcast just recently um, from Microsoft one of like the top researchers in the space of um, reinforcement learning just trying to remember the name here um, mm-hmm. oh okay yeah, so this one was with John Langford. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was so exciting. Like out of the three fields of supervised, unsupervised, and reinforcement learning, reinforcement learning has you know huge potential simply because it doesn't require all that labeled data in advance. Uh, it doesn't require like, that huge volume of data in order to do the training. Um, but to get everybody up to speed in case like we have listeners, which uh, is... is is totally fine, and um, you know maybe somebody's joining the podcast for the first time or haven't hasn't heard of reinforcement learning before. In a nutshell, what is reinforcement learning? In layman terms, uh, I can describe it as training a puppy. Uh, basically, what's how you train a puppy is you punish the puppy for doing something bad, and you reward the puppy for doing something good. And based on that environment, the puppy will learn to basically do something that will eventually reward uh, the puppy. And this is exactly how a reinforcement learning work. Uh, We deploy an agent or uh, in our example, a puppy in an environment, and we let that agent or the puppy learn on the the environment. Uh, So what it does is that agent or this puppy will start exploring the environment in a random or a non-random fashion. But as as uh, this agent or puppy uh, faces different scenario, it will learn how to act to maximize the rewards that it's getting at the end. And based on this concept, towards the end, let's say after six months or after like one year of training this puppy, or in, in our case, uh, after training this agent for a couple hours, the agent or the puppy will learn how to uh, operate uh, from from that point on. Uh, and if the environment changes around it, uh, for example, uh, the puppy changes uh, owners uh, and the, the behavior or the environment changes, that agent will learn how to adapt to the environment and behave differently. And all of these, as you mentioned, doesn't require any label data. Mm. Uh, all you need to do is to, to define an environment and define what is good and what is bad, what is punishable and what is rewardable. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just pretty, uh, it's not straightforward, but uh, uh, it's pretty, uh, uh, pretty powerful. Gotcha. No, that's, that's a great, great summary. And one of the things that is interesting is that you're doing this personalization through reinforcement learning, whereas most people and companies are familiar with personalization through classification. So, if, exactly. yeah, so like if you take Netflix or if you take um, Amazon, right? We, like, of course, we don't know the details of how exactly their recommender systems work, but one of the key drivers there would be classification because you need to classify certain videos or products into different categories and then you based on prior experience so based on that labeled data of how users previously would experience different uh products that you offer and what sequence and how they 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 would be interrelations and in uh, combining it with the classification you can come up with a a recommender system or something like that but this approach from reinforcement learning perspective is entirely different where you're allowing the agent or the artificial intelligence on its own to extract any kind of um, features that would be relevant to this unique individual and that allows a more targeted approach is that is that a, about a good summary of what what the differences are that's that's very accurate uh so uh, as you said yes netflix uh amazon and uh, hulu they have a recommendation engine that is based on let's say uh, uh a collaborative filtering algorithm and what it does it gives you a bunch of recommendation but personalization doesn't always mean recommendations mm-hmm. uh it's a little deeper than that uh personalization or true personalization should be automatic and implicit Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the case of Netflix, uh, if if that was a truly personalized uh, experience, the Netflix would have picked your next movie, and you would have been pretty happy with that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is uh, this is exactly what I've worked uh, on over the last uh, few years. Uh, for example, an example of that can be a device. Uh, for example, your TV, your speaker, your phone, your alarm. Uh, they these devices usually they only expose a limited number of settings for you to change mm-hmm. uh, and you change those uh, knobs to adapt to your environment for example you lower your uh, TV volume because uh, your girlfriend is sleeping <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is basically the way you ad- adapt to your environment uh, but there are many 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 other settings that these devices have uh, that are not exposed to the user, but the user can benefit from changing those and adapting it to the specific environments they're in. Only if they knew how and what to change. <laughs> those settings are usually very complex uh, technical settings that you need a um, an engineer to basically tune that for you, for your environment. And like that's what, the, for example? What, what's an example of a setting like? Uh, for example, like your speaker uh, uh, has many, many uh, knobs to basically change the waveform of the sound that is generated uh, for you. Okay. But all you have access is probably well, like a bass and like a volume yeah. on your speaker, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there, there, there is a reason behind it because those are not uh, user-friendly setting uh, uh, for you. And also, some of those settings 
don't need to be changed at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but many of those uh, settings can be changed to improve the user experience at these specific situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have we have this opportunity, and I think the OEM space are also like going uh, in, in this direction that for any device that you can think of, uh, you can come up with a way to automatically and implicitly uh, adapt these settings to each user's environment. Just, just uh, to clarify, OEM is Original Electronics Manufacturer? Yes, yes. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and uh, we, can, we can basically achieve this using machine learning and specifically, as you mentioned, using reinforcement learning. So what these uh, reinforcement learning model does, they learn the optimal value for each of these settings for a use at, at a user level. Mm-hmm. And basically, the device setting will adapt to each specific user environment. My environment will have a, if, if I have a speaker, for example, in my bedroom, and we'll have a set of a setting, and in yours, we'll have a different set of setting. Mm-hmm. Um, one other example of it, uh, for example, if you if you uh, consider any portable device, the battery life of that portable device can be significantly improved if I know the pattern of uh, your usage. The specific user pattern of usage will have a big impact of how do I optimize my battery to basically improve its battery uh, its battery life? Mm. Uh, and this this could be also it could be as simple as your bedroom clock learning the pattern of your sleep and auto setting your alarm for the next day. So this could be like an, a, a very simpler example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think like uh, the world. Uh, will get very close to that sci-fi type feature living with robots where everything is uh, reinforced learn uh, and we will have eventually a truly personalized life uh, but I believe this type of device uh, personalization is a, is a tiny step towards that mm. goal mm. Uh, that is and it's it's already happening uh, we see it like in, uh, in different different devices that comes on the markets Gotcha. Those are some some really cool examples. I got another one to add to that. There's a um, a research group, um, Electa. It's uh, I think somewhere in Europe. And so what they did is they applied reinforcement learning to see if they can similar to what you said. This is why I thought of the example is um, you the example you gave with the portable device, the energy consumption. So here they used uh, reinforcement learning to see if they can reduce energy consumption for water heating in, I think it was somewhere like in Scandinavia, in one of the Scandinavian countries or somewhere in Northern Europe, where basically the like uh, energy, electricity or gas needs to be used to heat up water. And obviously you can just keep it on, keep like the water hot the whole day, through the whole day uh, mm-hmm. to make sure whenever somebody switches on the tap, they have hot water. But if you take into account the patterns of when people are at home, when people are using water, when people are asleep, when people are not using water and so on, you can reduce energy consumption because you don't need to have hot water available when it is not required. And so they deployed reinforcement learning on a set of 32 houses and they were able to reduce the consumption by about 20% with no loss of comfort reported by the occupants. Basically, so uh, people didn't even notice that yeah. They have less, you know, that hot water levels are lo- lower or, you know, being varied. They were getting the same experience on the, on the, like as the end user. But 
the energy savings, like 20% less energy. Imagine what that means on a scale of a, like of a whole country or of a whole, uh, like let's say the US, if that is deployed in the whole of the US. That's, that's massive electrical savings, or especially in, in more northern countries, like you know, Canada or Scandinavian countries or Russia, for example. Huge savings in terms of electricity, in terms of energy, and that's great for the environment as well. So like, there's applications like that. Yeah, and that's exactly what I meant by the sci-fi uh, type future living where everything will be reinforced learned. If you, if you think of almost like any example in your life, you can apply some type of these, uh, these concepts and mm. make your life better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like uh, right away, one pops to mind is like, how much food do we waste? You know, do we really need to buy all the groceries we buy or restaurants? How much food do they throw away or like grocery stores? Yeah, that can be optimized. Exactly. There's lo exactly. lots, lots of examples. So w I am like through conversations on this podcast, and especially if, if listeners have been listening to the past few um, podcasts I've had, like for instance, with John Langford, for example, there's lots and lots of examples like this. And through my conversations on this podcast, I'm coming more and more to the conclusion that Reinforcement learning is actually the future of machine learning and AI. Do you agree with that or do you have a different opinion? Uh, I don't know if it will dominate the machine learning space, but I'm pretty sure it will be one of the major uh, driving force of machine learning going forward. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And what, what is the main reason behind that? What, like, that? What's the main advantage of reinforcement learning in your opinion? One of the obvious one, as you mentioned, is uh, you don't require tons of tons of label data. And uh, as as you can see, like many, many uh, uh, problems in deep learning space and, and the space of computer vision, for example, is tied to lack of uh, uh, high quality, uh, correctly labeled data. Yeah. And that, that's something that is very expensive. Uh, we have basically companies or people that manually uh, labeled those photos to be used by a machine learning algorithm, which is kind of like a funny, uh, funny concept, uh, given that we are basically have like a very complicated ecosystem of machine learning and we cannot use it uh, to basically <laughs> fix <I know>. this problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, uh, it reminds me of the Flintstones. Remember, they have a car, but they still have to use their legs to use Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. And uh, yeah, and I think that's one of the driving forces. And the other uh, the other thing is, uh, it's basically uh, the, the, the power that reinforcement learning has to adapt to its own environment. Mm. Uh, so right now, if you have a machine learning algorithm, machine learning model uh, trained uh, on, in production, uh, you, you need to constantly monitor uh, the performance of this model that it doesn't degrade in production. And once it does, and 100% of the time it does, you <laughs> yeah. need to take care of it and you need to take it off and retrain uh, using uh, new data, using a uh, new algorithm. Mm -hmm. And you need to keep doing this constantly uh, to basically take care of it while uh, and and the field of reinforcement learning, this is basically automatic. Yeah. The model uh, will adjust uh, to its own environment. And I think that's that's pretty powerful. And that's huge. That's 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 a massive um, thing like model deterioration, model maintenance is uh, 
you know, some companies don't, don't do that, but mistakenly yeah. so. I've seen models deteriorate to a, a level where from a 70 or 80% accuracy to like a 48% accuracy where it's worse than flipping a coin. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. So that, yeah. that's a really big one. It's good that you, you brought that up. And, and I think the, the reason behind that is that reinforcement learning is goal-oriented. Unlike supervised learning, True. Where you're like, okay, here's some labeled data. All right, I want you to copy that. It's like it's a it's a it's a copy paste type of solution. Whereas reinforcement learning, like here's a goal. I want you to always accomplish this goal. I don't know, two hundred percent ROI or twenty um, percent conversion rate of users or uh, whatever else. You know, thirty percent reduction in the heat uh, transmit heat loss or whatever it is. So you, you can set a goal and then the system itself will find ways, as you say, to adapt. It's a very, very powerful thing that it's adapting. Right. right. It's exactly like an optimization problem versus, and in the case of supervised learning, you have an optimization problem, but you're basically learning whatever you're feeding your mm. model. Yeah. And yeah. in that sense, this brings up like another benefit or another advantage. Third one is that uh, the reinforcement learning is more innovative, right? Like. Supervised learning can only learn, as you just said, it can only learn what you're teaching it. Great. But what if you want to come up with new solutions, with new designs, you know, like with what if you want to design a new type of airplane or a new type of, like recently in, in Boeing's, they deployed this um, sec section delimiter, you know, like between business and economy or between different parts of economy class that this like part of a plane that delimits these sections, which is, um, like I think 30% lighter or like a massively lighter than what humans were designing it was completely designed by artificial intelligence. You cannot accomplish that through supervised learning. Absolutely not. Unless you spend uh, billions of dollars for generating the data, they will eventually have a similar performance on a supervised learning uh, kind of uh, schema. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what about this... Uh, I, I, maybe you can uh, give me some input on this. Like, I had this thought that because reinforcement learning doesn't require this supervised data, it is much more bias resistant. So sometimes we come, in, uh, come across a problem that, um, for instance, in classification, an artificial intelligence might be exhibiting um, sexism or racism, right? True. Like. And uh, it, for instance, it might be giving out fines uh, to minority groups more frequently than non-minority groups, um, and, and things like that. And like if it's um, if it's a AI designed for that, or different AIs that deal with people might be exhibiting racism. But the problem there isn't that the AI is is racist; it's that it's taking the bias. It's inheriting the bias from the data that it's learning through the supervised learning process. It's inheriting the bias. Whereas yeah. reinforcement learning doesn't have that problem, in my view. Like, I'd love to get your opinion on this. Reinforcement learning learns on its own, and therefore it wouldn't be able to pick up that human bias from the supervised data. What are your thoughts on that? True. Uh, it's basically if, if the machine learning algorithm or this AI is racist, it's because you taught it to be racist. Mm -hmm. It's because of your data. And uh, that's a whole different field, uh, basically, that uh, right now companies are different. Uh, and even like in research, they're trying uh, 
to come up with a way to make a model fair mm -hmm. uh, after after you trained it uh, uh, how to take care of this prediction in a way that is not biased towards the population or uh, you you sometimes you go back and you play with your data and you try to remove the bias in the data itself mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's very true and uh, a reinforcement learning uh, model can also get stuck in, in an environment and only learn like a very very limited uh, uh, kind of like a behavior but you can basically easily fix that by expanding the world or expanding the environment that your agent is going to see. Mm -hmm. So the more environments you give or you put your agents on, the better it will learn the environment. Mm -hmm. But uh, as you said, yeah, it doesn't have that element of bias uh, built into it. Uh, also, uh, the reinforcement learning itself can be used on top of other supervised or unsupervised learning model to make them better as well. Um, so that's one other thing that, uh, for example, if you have a trained supervised model in production, uh, instead of monitoring the performance of your model and making sure it's uh, uh, stable, and if it's not, try to retrain and change parameters, you can basically have a reinforcement learned model on top of it to basically learn the optimal set of parameters that in this case could be the hyperparameters of your model uh, to basically learn that on a on a uh, uh, on a basically daily basis or a weekly basis and adjust your model as well to that specific environment. Oh, that's really uh, cool. Yeah, so it's basically you you can use it even in conjunction with uh, your supervised learning uh, models uh, and it still help in those cases to remove bias uh, to make your model uh, more stable and more fair. Mm. Wow, that's, those are some really cool cool examples and <laughs> using yeah. using them in combinations that's next level. Um, <laughs> what about what about uh, online learning? You know that's that's another big advantage of supervised learning. That oh sorry of reinforcement learning that you don't have to like first train the model and you know spend time doing that and then only deploy it that you can deploy it and it can combine exploration and exploita exploitation to get your results faster right yeah that's that's one of the main main benefits of uh reinforcement learning algorithm that you can basically you can have a pre-training phase to come up with a default set of behavior but you can even like skip that. You can just uh, deploy your model in the world and let it uh, learn by itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, it might take some time for the for the agent to to train well to that environment. But most of the use cases we deal with, uh, even in industry, uh, you you have that uh, privilege of having your agent to tra train itself in an environment for a for a while before deploying it to the real world or in production. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, as, as you mentioned, that's that's basically like an amazing feature of reinforcement learning that uh, it's basically continuously learning on its own, mm -hmm. um, even, even if your environment is completely different than what it was uh, when it was trained on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge advantage. Again, adaptability and, and the whole online, online um, feature. And um, 
Is reinforcement learning hard? You know, like it sounds like it has massive benefits, massive advantages for a business to implement reinforcement learning or more importantly for a data scientist to master reinforcement learning to the level where they can add value to the organizations that employ them. What, uh, what does it take? I believe that uh, if you're talking about it's learning, it's hard to learn. Uh, I would say maybe a little bit, <laughs> uh, the, the type of, uh, the type of things that you have to know, maybe it's a little more complicated. For example, if you know game theory, uh, it can help you a lot. And basically in the, uh, building the reinforcement, uh, learn models or novel models. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but if, it's hard to if it's, if the if your question is if, is it hard to uh, deploy? I would say no. It it has basically the same complexity that any other machine learning algorithm uh, does have, mm -hmm. uh, with benefits of being uh, adaptable, have requiring less uh, label data or even no label data. But I believe the main the main problem, the main complexity in reinforcement learning is how to define your specific problem in the context of reinforcement learning. Uh, I said, yes, you can apply reinforcement learning to many, many different problems, but how you kind of map your problems to this space, it's the tricky part. Uh, how you define your environment, how you define your rewards, how you define your uh, punishments, uh, what is rewardable, what is uh, punishable. All of these will have like a big impact on how you basically transition from your problem to a reinforcement learn, uh, learning setting. And that's again, uh, go back to the depth of your knowledge and, and reinforcement learning. And the better you know the algorithm, the easier it is for you to basically map, uh, map the problem to, the, to, to like a modeling uh, problem in, in RL. Interesting. Wow. Wow. That's really cool. Can you give us an example of mapping a problem? Like, is there, uh, I understand, you know, there's certain things that like you can't share from, from your work and so on, but even just a general example of a problem and how you would map it to reinforcement learning to give us some context for this, for this insight. Sure. I would go back to my speaker example, for mm -hmm. example, uh, if, if let's say I have, um, I'm trying to uh, map the problem of adjusting the volume of my speaker to my environment. So basically what I want is I want my speaker to be super smart and depending on the environment, depending on the light, depending on uh, the time of the day, I want it to adjust the volume for me. Uh, so this problem now i have this problem now how i map it to reinforcement learning so first thing you need to do is uh define your environments what is what is punishable if the speaker uh, volume goes up while i expecting it to be very low that's punishable mm -hmm. but how much how do you define a metric of punishment um what if the smart speaker with this reinforcement learning agent increase the volume a little bit more than what I'm expecting in that environment. Now, how do you punish that? Do you punish it or do you basically ignore that setting? 
So basically, it's it's a very detailed problem uh, like this that you have to specifically define and map. And from there, once you define your environment, uh, go about simulating and uh, see how how it works in, in that specific environment. Mm -hmm. um, so this is exactly this this kind of like mapping is what I believe is uh, is the hardest and. It depends on two things, your uh, reinforcement learning knowledge and your business specific uh, business domain knowledge that you have on, on that topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so inevitably in this example with your speaker, you would have to go, you have to be patient, right? You'd have to go through situations when you're just sitting there and the volume goes up and you have to like, I don't know, click a button or say something to uh, make uh, to enact that punishment so the the artificial intelligence understands that that's a bad thing but it will need to explore before it can actually come up with the right solution so how long would it take for uh, for that exploration to occur exactly so th so this is this period of time where the the reinforcement learning agent learn to a point that the behaviors start becoming acceptable, I would call that period the puppy period. Mm. It's basically the period that you take to train your puppy. And that is basically uh, a crucial metric for some type of reinforcement application like this one. Mm -hmm. Some some applications you don't care about like how long it takes. It's usually, it might be in order of minutes or hours and you can basically let the agent learn and then start using it. Mm -hmm. But in cases like this, where that period is kind of crucial and you want to limit that or you want to uh, minimize that as much as possible, you have a couple of options. Mm -hmm. uh, one of your options is to create a simulated environment. So instead of the actual environment that uh. you have in your bedroom, simulate your environment and learn the, let the agent to learn in that simulated environment. And once you come to the real environment, you have a uh, default uh, set of behavior that you know how to act on. And you just basically adapt to the very, very specific details of your environment that wasn't in your simulated oh, environment. Okay. So that's that's one uh, one approach. And the other approach is, you can minimize this puppy period by and in, in a technical way as well. Uh, so you can basically the the better the model that you have, the the less or the less this puppy period is. Uh, so that's one other route that you basically can optimize this puppy period uh, from a technical point of view. Mm -hmm. No, what what do you mean better model? Uh, so a model that is uh, well optimized. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, reinforcement learning. For example, it could be a neural network um, implemented using a neural network. And basically, the more well-optimized that network is, the better the outcome of your basically. You mean, you mean the, the architecture is, design, is more tailored to yeah. the problem? Architecture, hyperparameter, mm -hmm. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, better designs for better optimization and simulated environment. And that actually... Uh, reminded me that's how they do the self-driving cars you don't see them yeah. you don't see Tesla or I don't know Waymo that the Google version of self-driving cars or whatever other company you don't see them just like all right here's a reinforcement le learning algorithm <laughs> for the car go drive and then it makes all these now let's go on i5 yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it like uh, they yeah. simulate all of it, right? Yeah, they they simulate. They have simulated environment, which could be basically an environment where a uh, actual human drove the car, uh-huh. and the reinforcement learning agent made decision in the background, but we didn't act on it. The human act on it. And you still have a simulated environment uh, by built by a human driving mm-hmm. the car, mm-hmm. uh, and then once you have that, you replay that environment, and that's an actual actual environment that you can use to train your model uh, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Gary Saranvitra, I think, on the podcast uh, not not long ago, and. Uh, he said, this was funny, he said, uh, I know this is actually in one of his other videos online. Um, he said, you can't train a self-driving car through classification, right? You can't just show it a thousand photos of a car in the ditch and a thousand photos of the car <laughs> on the road, and then it will learn how to stay on the road. You have to use reinforcement learning in order to train it. So it's really funny like that. Yeah, the environment, the number of uh, scenarios in any environment that involves human behavior is basically infinite. Mm. <laughs> and and in that case, you quickly realize, yeah, we don't have enough computing power to basically adapt to those kind of scenarios. Yeah, that's yeah, surprising. Huh? Um, okay, so we can see also like the value of reinforcement learning. Um, where would somebody get started if they want to learn reinforcement learning and like get get really good at it? What what would you recommend? Uh, so there are many many different online courses, uh, workshops on specifically reinforcement learning. Uh, so I don't have any suggestion on that, but the only thing I can uh, recommend is learn the theory very well before you jump into building a a reinforcement uh, uh, learning uh, model. Uh, Once you learn the theory uh, deep enough, it will be much, much easier to build it, to optimize it, to change it. Uh, So that that would be my suggestion. Take one of these courses on Coursera, uh, Udemy, anywhere that you can find a course like this. And most of those courses are pretty good. And once you learn the basics behind it, uh, get a toy project and get get your hand dirty and build uh, your first reinforcement learning uh, model. And there are so many other uh, documentations and resources from from basically Google, from Amazon that you can, and they have a lot of APIs that you can use uh, if you don't want to learn about reinforcement learning and you just want to use it. Uh, but yeah, if, if you are gonna be building a model yourself, learn the theory, uh, and then get get your hand dirty. Fantastic. And in terms of courses, you don't have to go far. Uh, Udemy, Coursera, for sure, and, um, and there's other providers as well. Uh, but even on Super Data Science, I think we have like three or four courses about reinforcement learning, including Deep Reinforcement Learning 2.0, which we published just recently. So if anyone is interested, you can find them there. You're part of Super Data Science. I wanted to ask you though, when you say learn the theory, do you mean the mathematics behind it? Or do you mean um, the intuitive understanding of how it works? Because that's the, I find that distinction quite important. 
the the main uh, thing is the intuition behind it and how the model works. Um, but I have I have learned that it's a little hard to uh, learn the intuition behind the model without understanding the math behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean to know exactly what what's going on, but have like a feeling for what is being optimized here. Uh, how do you define your optimization problem or how do you define your loss function? How you, do you define your environment? Uh, know all of those details uh, and that will help uh, uh, once you get into implementation of it. Gotcha. And how long have you been studying reinforcement learning yourself? Uh, I'd say close to three years. Three years. Yeah. Three years yeah. and you, you already like that's that's gotten you to this level. That's that's really impressive. Like that's a very you know, advanced level that you've gotten to in three years. Uh, I think machine learning, <laughs> in in general, uh, is like that. Once it ha- it might have a steep learning rate, uh, learning curve, mm-hmm. but once uh, once you get to that point, uh, it gets easier. Gotcha. What's what's biggest? What's been your biggest mistake in reinforcement learning? Something that you know you can share with us that to help others avoid it? Uh, I, it was basically uh, trying to apply reinforcement learning to a wrong problem. Mm. Uh, so a, it was a problem at work. Uh, there was way, way better or easier solutions. And um, I wasn't thinking out of the box at the time because I was very excited about reinforcement <laughs> learning and I wanted to apply to everything. and. I think that's that's basically one of the pitfalls, uh, not only for reinforcement learning, for machine learning in general. Uh, and I was I was joking around with uh, my coworkers. Uh, I was telling them I'm gonna create a course titled as "When Not to Use Machine Learning." <laughs> uh, I've seen many many uh, examples where there is a very very similar, very very simple problem uh, that you can solve using basic statistics. And uh, you see people applying deep neural nets to 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 solve <laughs> these problems, and I think that's that's one of the pitfalls. And I think that's that's one of the things that I have I have done myself uh, in the past, and still I'm trying to uh, uh, prevent it, even at this point. Uh, once once I'm basically faced with a problem, I make sure there is no. Uh, non-machine learning related uh, basically solution for it before jumping into it. Yeah, I guess it requires a discipline to have a approach that you follow every time about investigation. You know, can I solve it with a simple solution? All right, I can't do that. Can I take it to the next level? What's, you know, uh, somebody on the podcast, um, Andres Mueller, one of the supporters or one of the developers behind scikit-learn he has this very strict approach he first tries a logistic regression that doesn't work he tries a random forest and if that doesn't work he goes to xgboost you know like you have to have the discipline to follow your own design approach to investigating problems very true and it's something you basically do in your life Uh, you basically apply that to non-technical problems in your life you always try simpler solutions first before getting into more complicated ones yeah totally agree 
uh, payment on that note we've uh, come slowly approached the end of this podcast and uh, it's been a very very exciting conversation to have you here on the show um, before I let you go could you please tell us where are some of the best places to find you so our listeners can get in touch follow you maybe read more about your career and where it takes you uh, as of now I believe that would be LinkedIn and GitHub <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm planning to build a better online portfolio uh, and hopefully start publishing a technical blog posts. But I will hopefully be posting those on my uh, on my LinkedIn uh, account as well. Oh, that's a that's a great idea as well. Um, fantastic! And of course, uh, those coming to Data Sands Go will be able to find payment there the end of September this year and get in touch there and meet in person. That'll be exciting. Um, yeah, so on that note, oh, one more thing I have, one more question I have for you. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners that has inspired your career or even your life? I think some uh, one book that uh, I read uh, not too long ago, but it had like a big, big impact uh, on me was uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically this book... Uh, discuss how to build uh, new things instead of uh, copying other things. It's basically uh, explains how to go from zero to one instead of going from one to N. Mm. Uh, and, and it's a very, very interesting book. It will apply to your technical and non-technical uh, aspects of your life. <laughs> Fantastic. Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Uh, Thank you so much, Payment, for coming on the show. It was super, super fun to talk about reinforcement learning, and I'll see you at Data Sense Go. Thank you. See you too. Thank you so much for being part of our conversation today with Payment, and I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We covered off some very exciting topics relating to reinforcement learning, what it is on an intuitive level, how it differs to supervised learning methods and why it is and what role and why it's going to play in the future of machine learning my personal favorite part was discussing the six advantages of reinforcement learning i think it's very important to always keep those in mind so you can see uh, where it's necessary and appropriate to apply reinforcement learning i'll just list them out here so that you can not jot them down if you need to because as I imagine you were listening to the podcast maybe you didn't have time to write everything down so here it goes uh, number one is that they don't require large label data sets number two is that they're innovative that means that they can come up with uh, methods and solutions that supervised learning algorithms cannot because they're simply copy pasting what they're learning uh, they are much more bias resistant because they don't learn the bias from uh, the data sets unlike supervised learning algorithms uh, they Uh, have the benefit of online training so they can get your results right away as soon as you deploy them so they uh, combine exploration and exploitation to get uh, those results while they're learning and unlike uh, supervised learning algorithms that need the pre-training and then they can only be deployed Um, they are goal oriented so you can set a target for them and therefore um, get them to work towards that target rather than just copy pasting as we discussed what uh, the human was doing previously and finally um, uh, number six advantage number six is that they adapt to environments 
So basically you don't necessarily need to retrain them all the time like other models, they can retrain themselves. So there you go, that's the six advantages of reinforcement learning that we identified. Really enjoyed that part of our discussion. And of course, there were lots of other gems in this conversation. On that note, as always, you can find the links to the materials mentioned in today's episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 293. That's superdatascience.com slash 293. And of course, don't forget that Payment is going to be one of our panelists and most likely speakers as well at DataSense Go 2019. So you can meet him in person there, shake his hand, give him a hug if you like this podcast a lot. And of course, ask him lots and lots of questions about his experience in uh, data science. Uh, so if you don't have your ticket for Data Science Go yet, this is your chance to get one. Head on over to www.datasciencego.com and secure your seat there. We're expecting up to between 600 and 800 data scientists attending with dozens of speakers and executives and lots of interesting people to connect with like payment. So on that note, thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. And until then, happy analyzing.